Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's far from the perfect bounce back, but Manchester United have certainly not crumbled after that harrowing Anfield defeat. A confident dismantling of Real Betis in the UEFA Europa League was the key, and the Reds really should have scored six or seven. When Southampton came to town, though, there can be few complaints that the team failed to score. We simply didn't create enough. A disappointing 0-0 draw against a poor side and a quite forgettable match, but it does tell us plenty about this team. And so that's what we'll be analysing today. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. Thank you for listening. I hope you're well. I'm Harry Robinson and Jack Tate is alongside me. As always, we will review the Saints match and United's faults in that game first. We'll, of course, talk about Casemiro's red card and a couple of other <laughs> controversial decisions. We'll also take a moment to remember Ian Sterling, a giant of Manchester United support who sadly died at the weekend. We'll then review the win over Real Betis in brief. We'll preview the second leg in Seville, give you a regular academy loan and United women's updates and we'll play guest the player. In the middle of the show, our brilliant patrons will get their bonus Q&A in which we play a schoolyard-style pickup game to try and pick competing the best United team that we can and we'll go into more detail on the analysis of the two games this week as well. As a reminder, you can sign up to be a patron and help support the show for as little as £1.50 a month. You get your episodes before anyone else, you get them entirely ad-free and of course you get that bonus Q&A every week. So on with the show. Jack, how would you sum up, uh, just in short to begin with, that Southampton draw? It was one of the most ridiculous matches I've seen in quite a long time, honestly. It was normally when you come out of a game, you sort of feel like especially if it's a draw, like one team probably could have edged it. I felt like this could have been a 3-0 win for either yeah. team with the way it ended up playing out. I mean, it was a game obviously defined by decisions given and decisions not given, I think most of which went against United, rightly or wrongly. But it was just frustrating. Even even with 10 men, you know, we had the chances to win the game, but I think it was very clearly a, a tricky and, and fatigued team trying to get through that game. Very well summarised. It was a real shame we weren't playing Nathan Jones' Southampton because obviously 10 men then w- would have given <laughs> yeah. us an advantage according to him. Me and my brother were saying at half-time, that it was, I mean, we've I think we've made this point before, but it's a shame this season we didn't get to play Nathan Jones' Southampton. We didn't get to ever play Jesse Marsh's Leeds. We didn't even get to play this season Stephen Gerrard's Aston Villa. And, and that has had a, an impact on those games, definitely. It's not an excuse. It would just been fun to watch United play Nathan Jones and Southampton and, <laughs> and enjoy ourselves. Uh, what you said at the start there, that both teams could have won 3-0. That, uh, yeah, Southampton obviously had a few. I did think United, on the on the basic play, rather than the quality of the chances themselves, and maybe that's a completely ridiculous way to look at a game, but United were kind of more in control. But you're right, it was an entirely chaotic game. Yeah. And yet it managed to be chaotic without really being entertaining at all. And nil-nil draws can have that quality. But yeah, chaotic. And this has kind of been a theme for United recently. And chaotic has been really good when we've been able to win the ball back quickly and maintain those attacks. But that's because we can wear teams down when we maintain those. But we didn't do that. Of course, it's more difficult with 10 men. But even before that, in the opening half hour, that was a 25, 30 minute spell of the game that just dragged on. You thought, how is this carrying on? Um, 
And I do think we lacked that genuine control of the game rather than just possession. And we lacked that ability to create enough pressure that would force Southampton to eventually crumble. Yeah, even even with 11 men, I really didn't think it was a good start to the game by United. It's actually been a curious thing for us against Southampton in recent years, even though we have generally come out on top in these games. We often don't play particularly well against them because they, they're one of those teams that even though they're off, they have been sort of towards the bottom end of the table in the last few years, they don't just come to Old Trafford and sit back. They do put us under quite a, a bit of pressure. They weren't pressing us to you know a ridiculous degree, but we know that is probably the weakest part of this United team in possession. And they kind of played on that weakness quite a bit. We just weren't really able to, to build up from the back. I think Bruno Fernandes playing in a slightly deeper role I, I think it works in a three, but I think when he's in a two in midfield, as he was kind of alongside Casemiro with Sancho, a bit more advanced, I think Fernandes and Casemiro for all of their good things on the ball. And I think in transition, especially they're both brilliant. When, you know, when you're being pressed kind of high up the pitch, that is probably both of their weakest aspects of their game as well. And so I think we just struggled to really have any kind of security when we were trying to build up from the back. And then obviously the red card changes the game, but yeah, it was... It was a game that it felt quite end-to-end without really being that open, if that sort of makes sense. Like, yeah, it, it, Both teams were managing to get into some decent positions, but it wasn't as if it was, you know, two-on-ones, three-on-ones all the time, teams running through with chance after chance. It, it, it just kind of felt like the, the momentum kind of swung back and forth a lot. And, and you know, I think what you said about the, the chaos in United games recently is a is a really salient point. You know, just, I was just looking at our games as you were speaking then. And I think, you know, really you, you have to go back quite far to find a game where you feel like United really controlled the game with, with the ball. Betis was probably the the one recently, but before that, you know, it's been a while really since we properly dominated a game in possession. Yeah. I don't think that's entirely surprising at all. That kind of matches with what we've seen developing throughout the season, which we've referred to quite a few times, where again, when we previewed the season and Ten Hag arrived at United, we expected a kind of painful process of introducing those principles that we saw at Ajax and that style of play at Ajax. And we've barely seen that at all. Instead, we've got this, what which Gary Neville was praising recently, but is not, I, I'm 99% certain, is not what Eric Ten Hag sees as the future of United's team and style and principles is not chaos. It will be control. And he's, for whatever reason, pragmatism and the ridiculous nature of the season and the players he's got, it's a mixture of all of those, but that's not what he's introduced so far. In terms of, before we go into the Casemiro Red, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that, that you mentioned at the very start about the the tiredness of the team mentally and physically. And then we'll talk about that after the, the red card. But in terms of just some little positives and or I thought McTominay was very good when he came on. Yeah, some good definitely. Turns. This is about his level playing style out to me is the kind of game where McTominay can, can show what he's good at. But there were some really nice turns. Some contrasting performances elsewhere that summed up that chaotic element. Wan-Bissaka was some really lax passes and defending but some moments where he showed just how confident he is at the moment especially I think it was a lofted Bruno ball I think it was Bruno and, and Wan-Bissaka chested it down on the edge of the box on the right edge of the box and took his man on he just thought this is a, a different player to the one that we've seen um, last year and in, in the last 18 months and even six months ago or three months ago uh, Bruno as well some brilliant balls but too many risks taken where 
he suffered from that, conceding free kicks and chances. And as you said, Bruno at the base of that, Bruno deep. It's he because he started before Casemiro sent off. He was basically playing on the left wing, wasn't he? Which what did you think of that? Yeah, again, just a, a bit of a of a shock, really. Sancho obviously coming in at number ten. It felt like Ten Hag was kind of using the opportunity to to try out Sancho at number ten, and everyone else kind of sort of fell in around him. Yeah, it, it was a kind of a strange one. He was just a, a little bit all over the pitch. Honestly, he started a little bit out on the left. He then sometimes was dropping really deep when we had the ball. Even against Betis on Thursday, he was he was playing a lot deeper than normal, which Ten Hag mentioned after the game. It, it it just feels like he's he's kind of trying to figure out exactly where Fernandez can can be the most effective in these different types of games. We spoke about it after the or after. Do you think it's working game. out where he's most effective, or using him as a a kind of plug for areas of the team that he thinks aren't strong enough? I think there's an argument to be made. It it could on either side. I I mean we won't know, but what do you think? I think it. I think it's more that he's being used to kind of facilitate other players playing where Ten Hag wants them to be. You know, I think in the case of playing out wide against Liverpool, I think in that game it was clear Ten Hag wanted Rashford up up top. And that kind of meant he, he didn't trust our other options out wide, even though that's probably the area where we have the most depth against Southampton. I think it was clear. And he mentioned after the game, he talked a lot about Sancho playing at number 10. He clearly wanted to to give that a bit more of a run. It's because if he's, if he's plugging gaps, I understand that playing him or deeper in midfield where we don't have the best quality Sabitzer wasn't available for this game yeah. but playing him out wide that doesn't really make sense to me as plugging gaps because you know sure when you move Rashford up front but then we still have Sancho Garnacho, even yeah. Palistri you know there's still a lot of options in, the, in that area Maybe it's um, we've seen Tenag talk quite a lot about the when Rashford starts on the left and then goes up front and it's like he's he's kind of been hinting that he allows the opposition's defence to get used to Veghorst's game and, should we say, lack of finishing ability. And then Rashford goes up and kind of tears him a new one with his pace. Maybe it's a similar idea <laughs> putting Bruno um, yeah. in that slightly different position. Let's talk about the red card. Um, red or, or yellow for you? In one word first. Red. That was a very unsure red. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would say yellow. I, I understand the decision, but I disagree with it because I think it's a VAR enforced red because I think slowing it down like that unfairly changes the tackle. And this isn't the first one to, Casemiro is not the first victim of this change in football, but he also won't be the last. And I think it needs to be considered because, I mean, even then in slow motion, you can see that, yes, he's airborne, but he's only going in with one foot. His foot in slow motion is clearly going A, towards the ball and it's these times perfectly to win it and he does win it. But its direction is also downwards and it's only by winning the ball and the fact that Belicocha keeps his leg there that the ball pushes Casemiro's foot upwards and so it connects with his ankle. Because I don't think there's uncontrolled force there. I don't think it's reckless. It's definitely unlucky. I can see why it would be given as a red, but I think what, as infuriated Ten Hag and most United fans is seeing the many, many examples, even just this weekend of similar tackles that went unpunished. Yeah, that, that's that, that's the thing. Ultimately, like we just we just want some consistency, and with VAR, that should be easier to achieve. It feels like it's almost becoming harder to achieve. I, I think this for me, this is one that, as a former very low level bad player, 
I don't like seeing that given as a red card yeah. because I, I, there wasn't any bad intent there. He, he did win the ball first. And I don't like that that is now sort of completely ignored in a lot of slide tackles, whether you win the ball first or not. But as also a former low-level referee, I think, I don't think, especially when you go and see, go and get sent to the monitor, I don't think in Anthony Taylor's position, I don't think you can possibly not send him off for that. Yeah. As soon as you see the shit, the the studs connect halfway up the shin, I, I don't think he can get away with not sending him off. I think Casemiro is really unlucky because like you said, he's going downwards. The initial tackle isn't very high and, it, and his studs hit off the ball and then go upwards off of that ricochet. The, the counter to that is, well, he was still in sort of the top half of the ball and still goes over the top of the ball, even though it yeah. comes off. So that's kind of the, the counter argument. That'd but I think that would be the referee's e- 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 explanation would be you need to go and lock yeah, down. Yeah, exactly. And, and he should, to be fair. It's, it's Casemiro. We know how the, good the he only, is. He should be. The only better. part of this decision that I'm actually annoyed at, because I, I was obviously frustrated that he got sent off, but I can completely understand why he was sent off. The only bit of it that I was actually annoyed about was that when, when Nancy Taylor got sent to the, to the monitor to, to watch it, yeah. he was only shown the angle from behind when you can't really see Casemiro's foot hit the ball. You can only see the, the foot go into the shin. But if you watch it from in front of it, where sort of Casemiro's running towards the camera, you can very clearly see him win the ball and, and like you said, the foot going down, it really wasn't that high. And then ricocheting up after it hits the ball. It probably still would have been a red card, but I just didn't like that in the process of sending him off, he was yeah. only shown that one angle. I don't know whether United would appeal it. Tanaka seems to be hinting at it, but you'd expect that would have been done already. We're recording on Monday afternoon. Perhaps it will come in, but you know, maybe United won't risk it. I, I, I think it's a very unlikely one to get overturned. Um, in fact, I think it is 100% not going to get overturned. And yeah. I assume Ten Hag's been advised on that. The problem is the length of the ban is just entirely disproportionate to the, the two offences he's committed this season that's got him sent off. That dubious first one against Palace, it looked bad. Again, 100% see why the ref sent him off, but replays showed that he was grabbing Will Hughes's shirt, actually, not his neck. Actually quite similar in, in some ways. Yeah. Like ones where the referee was sort of given no choice but to send him off, but like clearly absolutely no sort of malicious intent yeah. in either of them. And then a here and there second one against Southampton. Um, and for that, a total of seven games banned from a Premier League season, although one will be in the FA Cup. But that is, it's, yeah, it's mad. And it's, I just find it interesting. It's a bit odd that is, because the, the four game ban is because it's his second red, isn't it? In the yeah. same season. So I, you, I, you sort of wonder if the, the process for this couldn't be, because it feels wrong that like he could have got sent off for, for something quite innocuous and immediately it's a four game, which it kind of has. And it's immediately a four game ban just because it's his second one of the season. Like, why can't it be that if it's you get mad. sent off for this? I, I get it that they're trying to punish like patterns of behavior, but then to me, it should be, or if you get sent off for the same thing, more than one. like if you grabbed someone else's neck, then I can yeah. completely understand it. It's just, I mean, uh, we're, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit hole, but I, I find it really interesting at, at when, because historically sending offs, like going back to early football and, and even fairly recently in like a couple of decades, you got sent off. Originally you got sent off and then you could play in the next game unless the referee wrote in their report, like this thing needs further uh, suspension. So like if you... Uh, I'm going down the history nerd thing. Billy Meredith in United's uh, F- FA Cup 
game in 1909. <laughs> I've just been looking at this. When United won our first ever cup, Billy Meredith was suspended for a few games because he was getting hacked down all game, turned around and kicked uh, the player who had kicked him. He was sent off for that because it was like violent conduct. And then he was given a month long ban for it. But normally a sending off for like a bad tackles or the ref wanted you to do off because you'd committed a series of bad tackles, you'd then be able to play in the next game. So I, I wonder at what point in kind of refereeing philosophy the idea developed that you need such harsh punishments for red cards because I do find it a bit a bit counterintuitive because the red card is to so that you you're not playing in that game anymore that the punishment is just massive and I think especially when you compare it to some of the suspensions handed out for racism and biting and homophobia etc it's uh yeah it's odd I actually often think this about the the multiple yellow cards rule as well to me, getting a yellow card isn't a sign really that you're like doing anything that should be punished by a ban. Even if you pick up 20 of them in a season, I just sort of think that's fine. Especially, I, I especially hate it in tournaments like the World Cup or, the, or yeah. the Champions League where two, you know, two yellow cards out of like seven or eight games, like that's not, that isn't a particularly high rate especially of yellow cards. From like a non-United point of view, even as a neutral, you see so many times where say there's like a little bit of handbags and two players will be booked and the rest will get away with it just as kind of a sign of like a yeah, an yeah. assertion of authority, but without doing it for everyone and having to analyse every little hand movement, etc. And you think, well, that happens to one player and they're banned for, say, a World Cup quarterfinal and the other player who did something just as, quote marks, bad or even more doesn't just because of the way it kind of worked in the rest. It's just, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's fairly... Well, no, it is relevant, but yeah, it's not the biggest issue in football. <laughs> what did you think about the other, there were a few more refereeing decisions. Is there much, but United probably should have had a penalty. <laughs> the the handball is the one for me. I don't think the first one on Bruno is a penalty. I think uh, no, Walker Peters wins the ball. It was a heavy challenge, but he Rashford wins the ball. One. The Rashford one, I, I'm very torn on ones like that where it's like a, t- a tiny, tiny touch and then it makes the players like sort of kind of heel hit into their leg. Yeah. I remember one a few years ago for David Luiz did it for Arsenal against Wolves and got sent off. And that one was when like he's trying to stay away from contact and they just sort of like run across each other. Yeah. Again, that one, I'm okay with that not being given. I think it could have been given and as a United fan, you kind of hope that it is, but the touch was tiny and even on TV, it took probably four replays to even notice that there was a touch. So I can understand why that wasn't given. Yeah. The, the Bella Kotchev handball, I honestly don't understand how that isn't given at all. I think the explanation I'm assuming is that, it comes off his chest onto his hand. And, and I, I get that. And I'm okay if those aren't given in general. But I mean, as I mentioned with kind of a bit like bitterness in my voice a few months hmm. ago, the reason we didn't win our Europa League group, if you want to go down that route, was because yeah. of a handball given against Lissandro Martinez that comes off his foot and then into his arm. And the difference in this one as well is Bella Kotchap's arm is making his body bigger. Like that ball would have gone through even after coming off his chest if his arm isn't on the floor. In the Martinez yeah. case, his arm is tucked into his, it would have just hit his chest instead of his arm. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that isn't the reason. To me, like the, the, the entire handball rule, I've said this before, yeah. it, it baffles me. I think it needs to be completely rewritten, yeah. honestly. Yeah. Um, that wasn't the reason we lost, though. Oh, sorry, didn't lose. It feels like a defeat because it was Southampton. Um, that's not the reason we drew. It, yeah, as you said earlier, it was you could see the kind of mental and physical fatigue. It feels like a sign of that. Uh, the question is, how do we manage it? And I'm not sure that 
we can entirely. I think Tenagas put his eggs very firmly in the let's do as well as we can in all four competitions basket. And we're going to have to see it through and hope for the best and see where that takes us and hope that the mental kind of confidence we're Man United, we go of all four competitions, the boost of that attitude is larger than the physical ramifications of drawing games like this. And the truth is what I mentioned briefly earlier that Ten Hag isn't rotating because he's yet to really instill those key principles into this team. And so the success of United, and we've seen this, and this is why Casemiro is such a uh, going to be such a massive miss for these four games, but also the same would be true with Rashford and Martinez with Ran. The success of this team at the moment is so reliant on relationships between specific players. There are obviously th- many things being worked on at Carrington and we've seen evidence of that. But it's not a perfect system at the moment, ready for any player to come into. So you'd expect changes on that front next season. But at the moment, we're pretty reliant on the same eleven. Ten Hag is putting everything into this kind of one starting eleven with one or two changes every week. And it's it's showing. But we're still in the FA Cup, court final coming up, Real Betis, we've won the League Cup, we're third in the Premier League. It's it's going quite well. Yeah, it is going quite well still from a big picture. It's just a bit it's been a bit of a deflating, well, obviously weak, but even I think a little bit before that we could see the performances slipping a little bit. You know, that I think that week of winning against Barcelona, then beating Newcastle in the Carabao Cup final was obviously just a big, mentally very tiring week for United, and it especially then coupled with the very different men- kind of tiring, but also very mentally tiring hammering at Liverpool. I think, you know, it's understandable that United had a little bit of a sort of come down match. I think Betis was obviously riding on the sort of redemption and defiance from the Liverpool game. But the Southampton game, I think, was understandably a bit more of a sort of come down performance for United. It is it is a concern going forward, though. You know, this is already a thin squad that's yeah. now getting hit by more and more injuries. We've already got, you know, Eriksen, Van der Beek out for the season. Sabitzer wasn't available for this game. Garnacho now might be out for a while. You know, the the injuries and now suspensions with Casemiro are, are piling up a little bit and this is already a thin squad. Big chance for Kobe Mainu. Yeah, it really is. And and players like Pellistri as well, I think is going to only get yeah. more and more opportunities as, as the season goes on. And they need to. I think for United, the key now is that these last couple of results drawing against Southampton, obviously the loss against Liverpool, it sort of dragged us back a little bit towards the chasing pack for fourth. We're still yeah. relatively comfortable, but yes, ideally but I think you'd want to be... We- next play the teams around us will have played a few of their games in hand or they would have played a few yeah. more games than us because we're in the FA Cup yeah so yeah. yeah I think we currently have one game in hand on Tottenham already I think they probably play next weekend off the top of my head because they're not in the FA Cup anymore Depends I don't know if the playing. team they were supposed to play are in the FA Cup I'm not sure oh, but anyway like like you said we we could very easily be behind Spurs by the next yeah. time we play Spurs play so I think, I think what at the weekend. Right, okay, there you go. So I think ideally what you would have wanted was, you know, have third pretty much sewn up so you could rotate a fair amount in the Premier League, go really hard at the Europa League, play our strongest 11 every week in the Europa League and then obviously try and get through the FA Cup. But as it is, the the focus is going to have to be on the league probably a bit more than we thought it was going to have to just because we have got dragged back backwards a little bit in that race for, for top four. Yeah, a nice sad moment at the Southampton game. With uh, there was a applause for Ian Sterling before the game, and the United's players wore black armbands. He was the independent supporters liaison officer, but also a kind of long time figure within United's 
support uh, worked for Must for from its inception was a big part of the protests against uh, the Glazer ownership when they arrived and many other things and secured all sorts of brilliant things for United fans in his role with Must and conversations with the club. He was also just a really sound guy. Uh, long-time listeners of this podcast might remember that, well, probably won't remember, but I certainly do. When Ian came on the podcast in, I think it must have been 2018, and we were doing a special on Old Trafford's atmosphere and how it had declined and how it could get back to the position it once held as feared and uh, just a brilliant place to be. And it has got a lot closer to that, much thanks to some of his work and thanks to the Red Army and many others. But Ian, I can't, oh, can we chat over the phone for, for the podcast? And he said, no, come into the must house before a match and we'll just sit down. So I went into the must house and he was like, all right, do you want a cuppa? And we sat down and had a cup of tea and a lovely chat for 20 minutes about what could happen next with Old Trafford. And I, I that was the only time I met him properly. I bumped into a couple of other times, but the, the warmth of, of the man was, uh, yeah, very obvious. And with the tributes of everyone that have come out, it's clear how much he meant to so many people. Um, and it was great to, that the club, for, for Manchester United, one of the biggest clubs in the world to wear black armbands to a supporter was a lovely move and a sign of of just what a, what a man he was. And that was lovely. Jack, first guest to play a clue. Um, it's from me, your guest this week. As a reminder, there are three clues every week. The quicker you get it, the more points you get. Although I'm not sure we've been tallying them up too well. We're going to have to go back and do that at some point. Um, <laughs> your first clue is... I'm currently coaching with a MLS team. I'm currently coaching with a major league soccer team. If you get it off this, I'll be very impressed. <laughs> I was going to say, I should probably know more about MLS coaches than I actually do, given that I, I live in the US, but I don't really. So yeah, that doesn't give me yeah. too many clues. Uh, very quickly, the Real Betis match in midweek. That was a brilliant response, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really was. That It, it, it was a brilliant response in, in a lot of different ways. Firstly, the way we came out and started the game was excellent. In the first five or six minutes, obviously leading up to Rashford's goal, we flew out the traps. We, you know, were creating chances left, right, and centre. And then it was a, a doubly brilliant response because we we kind of dropped off that level initially after the goal. We obviously let Betis back in the game, and then to come out after half time and respond in the game the way that we did as well, I thought was absolutely excellent. It would have been really easy, kind of the first sign of hardship in that game to to crumble, given what we, what happened last week at Liverpool. But to come out after half time, show you know, really, really good resilience and, and play some amazing football in that second half was, yeah, a massive credit to the team. Yeah. And Jeff, um, we should have scored seven. <laughs> we created so many chances and we really, yeah, I we mean, really should. It's a brilliant result. It's great to take away from home. And we should be very confident going into the second leg, but we properly could have put that tie to bed fully with another couple of goals. The Anthony one-way shot. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Passing to, I think, Rashford and Bruno. Wait, they're all sorts. But Anthony, a brilliant goal. It was a pretty typical Nanny-esque performance from him. Yeah, becoming a pretty typical Do Anthony something performance, spectacular and extraordinary, but mess up the easy bits. I was delighted for Vegost. Absolutely yeah, buzzing yeah. for him. And Polistri, buzzing for him as well. Two lovely things to see. Yeah, brilliant for both of them. They they massively deserve it. Vegost in particular, just for him to have that moment in front of the Stretford end. And you could see how much it meant to him to score that goal. And I, I'm, I'm just really pleased that he kind of had his moment in the spotlight because he, he deserves it. He's worked so hard for this team. I mean, 
I think we mentioned this before, but despite the lack of goals, I mean, I mean, where would we be if we hadn't brought him yeah. in in January? And he's come in, he's played, what is it now, 16 or 17 games in a row? Yeah. More than Martial has in two years. Yeah. Ridiculous. Uh, I think that's, I mean, there's been plenty of discussion on the best games, so we won't linger on it. I'm going to give you a second guess of player clue. As a reminder, even though it was only a minute ago, uh, the first one was, I'm currently coaching with an MLS team. And the second is, I'm a World Cup winner. Oh, you're not giving me much I'm to go World on today. Um, okay, well, I'm trying to I'm trying to think back to when when Martinez won the World Cup. There were all these articles about United players that had won the World Cup. But I guess that would be why they were at United. That's not necessarily the case here. There is there is one player floating around in my head who I saw an article about the other day, and I th- I think he because I, I so I'm thinking about Cleberson. Because I'm, I'm pretty sure Cleberson went to the MLS after, like a long time after he left United. I have this memory of him playing for Philadelphia Union. And I think he was a coach there, but I don't know if he still is. Are you willing to stake? I mean, I might as well guess because I'm going to get another guess after the third clue, even if I get it wrong. So, and he, he did definitely win. The two. T- should I tell you the third clue? Yeah, go on. My, my guess would I'll be Cleberson, but yeah, clue. tell me the third clue. Yeah, I was meant to sign for Manchester United alongside Ronaldinho, but I did so alongside Cristiano Ronaldo instead. Oh yeah, it's definitely Cleverson then. Yeah, spot on. Nicely done. Is he, is he still at Philadelphia Union? No, he was coached there for a while. You're absolutely right. He played there at the end of his career and he's now at, I think he's at New York City now. Oh, Okay. I only, I only know the Philadelphia Union connection because I went to see, I live right right across the road basically from Soldier Field where Chicago Fire play in the MLS and yeah. I watched Chicago Fire play against Philadelphia Union last season and so I was just like looking them up a little bit and that's when I figured out or saw that Cleberson used to play for them. Nice. They, he's currently assistant coach of New York City underneath oh, okay. Um, okay. Nick Cushing who is manager of Manchester City's women's team recently. Did a very good job there. Right. And I have absolutely no idea what kind of a job he's doing at New York City. Um, perhaps one of our listeners can tell well, us. Well, I know they yeah. played Chicago Fire and drew nil-nil in a very boring game that I sat through <laughs> for 90 minutes last week. Is that, <laughs> how, where does that rank in the most boring games you've seen live? Oh, it's up there. It's right up there. Honestly. Mm. Um, My one actually, number be... one would be last season, I, I sat in the pouring rain at Chicago Fire against FC Dallas in the worst nil-nil I've, I've ever seen in my life. Wow. That, yeah, that is rough. the worst game I've I ever was, seen. I was in the pouring rain on Saturday. It was one of the benefits of United's match getting moved to Sunday. Uh, I saw West Didsbury and Chalton against Ascot United in the FA Vars quarterfinal. Wow. Promised to be a great game. It wasn't. It was quite boring. <laughs> 1-1. And then Ascot United won on penalties. It was West Didsbury, my local non-league team. And very fun to go to. But yeah, it shut it down and it was, <laughs> I think, I think the Met Office feels like temperature was minus one oh, or minus nice. two. It was a pretty, yeah, pretty bleak experience. I've got to say actually- a Good crowd there, nevertheless. Another one that's up there for me. It, it, it definitely isn't the most boring game that I've been to just because the occasion meant it couldn't be that bad. But in terms of the actual 90 minutes of games, the 2007 FA Cup final, I went, it was the first one at Wembley mm. and it was when Jogba scored yeah. in extra time and it was- it was an awful game. Just terrible. Yeah. My mum and dad were at that one and my mum's convinced uh, that she's a, a Wembley curse. So she refused to, despite being offered a ticket, she refused to come to the League Cup final, <laughs> the recent one, because she saw us lose the 2007 final. She saw us lose the 2018 final and she saw us 
she came to Spurs away and saw us lose at Wembley as well. Jeez. I think there might have been one more, but so she's only seen United lose at Wembley at least three times, maybe four, and she's convinced that she's a curse. So she refused to come and we said, well, this is a really bad because if we beat Newcastle, which of course we did, that's going to confirm kind of it, yeah. Confirm your assumptions and now you can never come. But uh, <laughs> hopefully there'll be a community shield at some point that she can come to without quite as much. What if she goes to, because I, I, I was going to say, I... I, I've, not, I've only ever seen United lose at Wembley, but I've seen other teams that I've been supporting win at Wembley. What if she went to like an England game? And if England won, would that lift the curse? Mm, I don't think so. Mm. No, I think it's got to be United. We'll see. Hopefully we could convince her at some point. Anyway, she's coming to the Fulham game. Hopefully she can see us win in the cup, just not come to the Maybe final. the curse will <laughs> extend to stopping United even getting to Wembley in the first place. Now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um. Yeah, I wonder, has she been, she probably, she must have been at a cup game in which, maybe not. I, I would expect she's been at a cup game before in a season we've got to Wembley, but I can't be 100% sure. Right. Yeah. She was at the Forest game earlier this season, but not in the Carabao Cup. I was just thinking if she was at that one, but yeah, that was, she was at the league game and we won that one. So hopefully all good. I'm not sure she's seen us lose too many <laughs> at, at Old Trafford. Although she was at the... I mean, Liverpool this season we don't lose at Old Trafford since the first yeah, day. Right, let's go. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's go into... Big detail. Patreon Q&A and then we'll have a youth loan and United women roundup because they played Chelsea in a potentially title deciding match of the weekend. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, back from the Patreon Q&A. Very interesting one. Two schoolyard pickup teams, which gave an interesting insight into what we think about certain players as well. Uh, let's have an academy roundup. Well, a very short one. United's under-21s were due to play Leicester shortly after we record here, but that game's been cancelled due to a waterlogged pitch. You might be able to hear in the background rain thumping down on my window, so it's not entirely surprising that's been postponed. Jack, low news, Charlie Savage, big headline. Yeah, Charlie Savage, the really the only headline honestly from the week he'd already won February player of the month for Forest Green like we mentioned in the last episode and then he went on and scored his first senior goal for the club on Saturday as well don't know if many of you have probably a lot of you have already seen this good clip of uh, Robbie Savage obviously Charlie's dad on BT Sports equivalent of Soccer Saturday whatever that show is called <laughs> celebrating Charlie's scoring it was a great moment you can see Robbie Savage is clearly quite emotional at it and so it's a, just a lovely moment and a good yeah. a good moment for Charlie Savage, although Forrest Green still went on to lose 3-1 and they still haven't won under Duncan Ferguson yeah. and since Charlie Savage has been there, which is a bit of a struggle. How far off 
Are they, I'm assuming they're in the relegation zone. They are, they're bottom and by quite a bit as well. I think they yeah. are, off the top of my head, I think they're about 10 points from safety. Okay. I was going to say, is there any hope for them? It doesn't sound like there's a great deal. But yeah, they they're, they're 12 points off off safety. This is kind of, it, it's interesting that there's been so many teams recently who have done like so well in getting promoted a few divisions. Some even like Fleetwood Town, who got, I think, nine promotions in 11 seasons or something. And Salford City would be another example. Forest Green, another example where you can get promoted into the Football League and you can get promoted out of League Two. But staying, getting promoted out of League One to the Championship is so difficult. And even staying up in League One is so hard, even if you've had a really good few years and you've got decent money behind you. It's just, yeah, it's pretty merciless. As for United women, Lost 1-0 to Chelsea in a big game. Sam Kerr scored the only goal of the game after 23 minutes. Ex-United player Lauren James with the assist. Kerr with a brilliantly timed run and then just an absolutely brilliant finish. Uh, lifting it pretty much on the volley over Mary Earps and into the far corner. Uh, United manager Mark Skinner was left unhappy with two decisions in particular. He claimed that the referee had lost United a couple of points. Nikita Paris seemed to be fouled by Buchanan in the first half and he certainly had a point. United controlled possession for long periods, limited Chelsea to few opportunities really, but never looked like breaking down the Blues defence. Elatoon got through once, but put it wide. Chelsea are now top of the table by two points with a game in hand still. United are level on 35 points with Manchester City. We are ahead by some way on goal difference, but level on points. Arsenal could now draw level on 35 if they win their game in hand as well. It's all suddenly got very tight and Chelsea remain the favourites. And yeah, United must not drop out of that top three and it's getting a little bit nervous. So Mark Skinner is going to have to manage that very well and drop because dropping out of the top three would have massive ramifications. The three teams at the top of the WSL going to the Champions League. If United don't have that, having come very close for two seasons in a row, but failed at the last, that would have big ramifications on the futures of players like Ona Batier and Alessia Russo and many others. So there's not much margin for error. Bit of a distraction now, which is probably good uh, playing in the FA Cup quarterfinal on Sunday. Jack Relbetis on Thursday. Uh, I mean, a great advantage to go there with. Very jealous of everyone going out there. This is the first European away I'm missing since Young Boys in September 2021. It's been a, a privilege to get to do so many in a row, but I am sick with envy now. Um, it's going to be a great trip. I'm just going to check the weather forecast again, but I'm pretty sure <laughs> Reds going there can expect kind of nearly 30 degree heat. So yeah, I- I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that if I were you. You're just going to make yourself jealous again and tempt oh, yourself right. into buying a last minute ticket. I, I, If the opportunity to buy a last minute ticket was there, I would have done. But it's a shockingly difficult route to make. And I know there are United fans who are trying to do their first European away and this is a good one because it's gone down to zero credits, but haven't because the routes there have been just surprisingly tricky or expensive. And that's why I'm not doing it as well because I've, I've been to Seville, we've been to Spain loads and it's looking at like a 400, 500 pound trip. And it's, I mean, yeah, don't have that money, but uh, it's going to be 20, 25 on Thursday on match day, a bit colder on the Friday, possibly even rain on the Friday. Brilliant. Love to see it. <laughs> um, but yeah, 25 on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, yeah, going to be a great trip. It's a great city. It was a great first leg. I mean, you have to be confident, but, can't concede early on and because that'll be a top atmosphere there. Yeah, Betis fans are 
some of the best in Spain, probably behind Barca and Real Madrid, arguably the next sort of biggest set of supporters or maybe next best anyway. It's going to be, it's just another case of just needing to control the game, just manage it. Like you said, don't concede early and, and you know, you have to be a very confident going into the game. I think in some ways, Casemiro being banned now domestically sort of helps cure a little bit of a headache for this game because I think it's tempting yeah. to go in and make a lot of changes because we are we do have such a big lead. Casemiro is the, the you know the perfect person to have for a scenario like this, holding on to a lead. He'll be there to sort of calm things down, mop up any danger, get us going the other way in transition as well. And obviously there's now no doubt that he'll start given that he's, he's banned for the next while. I wonder if we'll see... I expect to see a few changes, but not massive. Yeah, I wonder if we'll see... This is kind of a more hopeful suggestion than a realistic, but I wonder if we'll see Mainu alongside Casemiro as a kind of way to ease him in, potentially ahead of starting or coming off the bench more regularly in the next couple of weeks. It's an interesting one. Yeah, I think... But equally, Tenag might want McTominay also a bit sort of yeah. to play to build some rhythm ahead of Sunday. So it's I, I don't think what Mane will start, but it would be a quite a good way going in confident with a three goal lead, playing alongside just the best man on the planet and yeah, getting some real experience and, and developing a bit of rhythm himself. Yeah, I think if any if any sort of young fringe player is going to start, I'd probably say the most likely one is Palistri after yeah. a couple of good cameos. Especially with Garnacho. And- probably missing. Yeah, exactly. And it, it, it's it's quite an easy one because he, he does naturally play on the right. And so it's just a, that he doesn't have much competition, quite frankly. You know, we'd have so few players that naturally kind of play out there. I expect probably Veghorsten, uh to start. I imagine Sancho will probably start as well, whether it's on the left or at number 10, we'll see. Rashford is a, is a bit of an interesting one. It feels like a game that there's just so few opportunities to give Rashford any kind of rest. It feels like a game where you could afford to probably leave him on the bench and bring him on at half time if things have got close. Yeah. But Ten Hag may view it the opposite way get and say, done. you know, give him 45, 60 minutes, try and, you know, get a goal or two and completely kill the tie and then come off in yeah. the second half. Yeah. Very interesting one. Palistri's been exciting, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. I mean, his cameo against Betis was, was great. And to be fair, obviously that was sort of the most high profile moment that he's had in this season but actually every time he's come on I think he's done really well there was one I think he might have been in one of the cup games in January yeah was it when he came on and and did really really well for 10 or 15 minutes then as well he's he's because you've obviously got Palistri on kind of Palistri on one side got actual on the other and they're it's interesting because they're two really exciting young wingers but neither of them are that like skillful I don't know they are that skillful yeah neither of them are that skills heavy or trick heavy is probably the better way of describing it. Garnacho is that raw pace and acceleration. But Palistri has this kind of slightly different ability. Palistri is all about close control. Yeah, the, that close control is, it's like, I said to uh, my brother and my mates at the game, it's like watching one of those, like on FIFA 98 or something, like the really early FIFAs where players were way bigger than the pitch and would just kind of run in figure of eights <laughs> and they'd run like backwards and forwards and eventually you'd get past the player. He seems to do that. He just runs in all sorts of different directions and then eventually keeps hold of the ball and eventually manages to do something. And it's such a different kind of style of winger to watch, but I'm really enjoying it. And it, He's that, just got such a low centre of gravity. He can just yeah. move, change direction so quickly. It's so useful to bring him off the bench for Anthony in that right wing position because yeah, you yeah. go from defenders defending a purely left-footed player to someone who might actually cross the ball in. 
with their right foot and go to the byline. So yeah, he's a really valuable. And with Anthony, person. most of the stuff is in front of you as a defender as well, partially because he wants to cut yeah. side all the time. Pellistri is the complete opposite. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else before we wrap up? I think it's going to be nervier than we expect against Betis. I, I just have a feeling it's going it, to, even if yeah. we don't concede early, I just have a feeling they're going to come flying out the traps and put us under a lot of pressure to start off with. We know what it's like playing away from home anywhere in Europe, but especially in Spain, it is, it is difficult. And I think mm-hmm. it's going to be a, a nervy first half. Yeah. Watch out for the refs. <laughs> <laughs> always, uh, always to be cautious. Well, if any others are going to, to Seville to watch United Real Betis have a brilliant time no matter how jealous I am one of our patrons Tony Ryan is going have a good time everyone else if you go and have a good time or enjoy the game wherever you're watching for our thoughts on that game and throughout the week you can find Jack on Twitter at at UTD Tate's T-A-I-T and you can find me at Harry Robinson 64 and the podcast itself at UTD Weekly Pod that's P-O-D at the end there where you can also find out information about how to sign up and become a patron and get ad-free early release episodes with bonus Q&As as we've had in this one thank you very much for listening if you've enjoyed the show either support us on Patreon or share it with your mates or leave us a review do something nice to help us grow or sustain ourselves <laughs> and otherwise have a brilliant week goodbye You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 